Our reading for today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Huh? Okay. Hi. Um, so, just a couple of quick announcements. One is that uh, the West Virginia team uh, left this morning, so we ask that you just continue to remember them in your prayers. And also next week, uh, the Jungs, Sung and Heidi, and their family, they will be visiting us next week to uh, share with us their work uh, in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they're a missionary family we have been uh, working with for... More than 10 years, I think. It's, it's been a while. So it's a, it's a great opportunity just to hear them. Uh, they'll be sharing uh, about their ministry. And then uh, after service, we'll have time together to uh, share further about their work uh, over lunch. So uh, if you can and you want to stay for that, uh, let me know just so we can try to get a rough count uh, in terms of food for lunch. So uh, we'll have that for um, next week. All right, so um, we continue uh, with our study of the New City Catechism. We're now on question uh, 41, and so let's review again, uh, beginning with question 36. What do we believe about the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit help us? What is prayer? And today's question uh, is, what is the Lord's Prayer? And so uh, we know, um, well, let's recite it together. Our Father... So last week, 
Jesus warned us against false prayers or wrong prayers. That prayers that are um, hypocritical, prayers that are prayed to be seen by others, or prayers that are wordy, uh, as if some special language or vocabulary will magically get God to listen, are to be avoided. Jesus says we can and must pray privately and briefly. And I suggested that we find a private space somewhere uh, to carve out a time so that we can be fully focused on prayer and begin with a single word, uh, one of five words. Wow, thanks, sorry, help, and why. And Jesus is really here just inviting us to have a conversation with him. And the reason we can pray honestly and confidently, Jesus reminds us, is that God is the Father. God is the Father. And so our prayers should be addressed to the Father. And today, uh, as opposed to the wrong ways of praying, Jesus models for us, here's the way then you ought to pray instead. And again, he, you see here, he begins with our Father. Pray like this, and you begin with our Father. Um, <clears throat> Years and years ago, uh, when I was a student in seminary uh, during my first couple years, this is in the uh, early 90s, 1990s, um, there, was a, there was a big splash uh, made by a group of controversial scholars, biblical scholars, uh, known as the Jesus Seminar. Um, and they kind of dismissed or uh, denied much of what we have in the scriptures as being authentic. Uh, they denied you know, things like the miracles, that a lot of the words that are attributed to Jesus weren't actually said by him and things like that. And so, you know, they kind of challenged um, pretty much everything uh, in, in the New Testament. But what was really interesting is that even sort of in their sort of uh, denial of everything, in their opinion, the one word that they were certain was spoken by Jesus is the word Father. They weren't sure Jesus said anything else in this prayer, right? In the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Prayer. But they were certain that he said, Father. Um, I, I found that really interesting because um, it was such an uh, unusual way to address God. And, um, you know, the Jewish people, of course, they did have an understanding of God as Father. One of the oldest prayers that we have uh, from Moses in, in Deuteronomy 32, for example, Moses talks about God as Father. Uh, the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others also speak or reference God uh, as Father or likens, like a Father and so on. But in general, uh, people did not approach God with that kind of familiarity. God, God was awesome. And in fact, you, know, you wouldn't even speak. You would not dare to pronounce God's name because you know, God's name is to be hallowed, to be uh, lifted up, uh, to be revered. And, and you don't want to accidentally take God's name in vain. And so people would not speak the name of God and certainly to think about God in a kind of a careless or informal way. Only you know, once a year uh, on the most holy of holy days, uh, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, the priest might dare utter the name of God once a year. I mean, that, that, was, that was about it. And so, in that kind of context, in that kind of religiosity, it's very hard for people to imagine addressing God as Father as Jesus did. But that's precisely what Jesus did. 
regularly and repeatedly, God is referred to as Father by Jesus. And what's even more interesting is that, you know, most people believe that Jesus spoke and probably taught most of the time in Aramaic, which was the language that um, most of the people used at the time. And if he did that, then the word for father that Jesus used, in all likelihood, is the word Abba. So, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, when Jesus is praying, you know, perhaps most, his most fervent prayer, he prays and he calls God Abba, Father. That's, that's the word for father, Abba. Um, this is a word that <clears throat> is, uh, is not entirely translatable, I think, in English, as I understand this word. Because in English, you know, you might call your dad or your father, father. You might call him <clears throat> dad or daddy, papa, pops. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different words that we might use. Uh, in Aramaic, the word Abba is an informal word for father, but it's a word that can be used by children and by adults. So it's a, it's a word, it's a warm word of affection that you would address your father. Okay, so um, I was thinking in English, um, I call my father, usually I call him dad. But dad, it's, it's not quite as um, warm or as uh, intimate as something like daddy. But I wouldn't really call my dad daddy. Like, it just, right? So, it, the, Abba, there's, there's not the quite uh, the right English word for that. Um, now, <clears throat> I know I'm walking on very thin ice here um, because, as you know, my, my Korean is not so good. But, but in Korean, I think they did this right in the Korean translation because in Korean, they translate father with abaji, right? Because in Korean, you have um, layers of formality in the language. So if you were to address your father in a very kind of honoring sort of way, you would say abanim. You put the honorific at the end, Right? Um, now, depending on the context, you could call your dad Abaji, and it could mean, it could have a wide range of meanings and formality. Um, but it is a word that you could say, everyone from a child all the way to a grown up. So if you were to call your dad Abaji, then you know that it there is a kind of uh, informality or there's a kind of affection that that word has that the word abanim with the honorific at the end does not. And so in the Korean translation, it gets translated as uh, our father, our abaji. It's that more informal. And I think that word is actually a good equivalent to abba because it has both the um, sense of informality, but it also can be used more formally uh, by older, older people. Okay, so um, when Jesus is saying, we're praying to the Father, to the, our Father, and he's probably saying Abba uh, in the Aramaic, the more informal word, <clears throat> I think Jesus is trying to tell us here or teach us that God is approachable. That God is not some you know, scary deity out in the distance, but that he is someone that is approachable and that we can have this confidence in approaching God as a father, uh, not because, you know, we are righteous or anything like that, but because of 
the fact that God is Father to us. Uh, I, I know that the word Father uh, may work against some of you, um, because I know in certainly in many Asian uh, cultures, fathers can be um, more distant. You know, they're someone that you respect, but not really someone that you get very um, affectionate uh, and close with. Uh, and some of you may have had fathers uh, who, are, who are less than idea. And so it, it, that word father might, you know, not be the best word for you. But Jesus here is inviting us to not so much think about, you know, comparing God to kind of the fathers that we may know. Uh, but he's telling us about this God that can be approached as a child would approach a father. Uh, he invites us to approach with affection, with uh, informality, and that we can ask God for anything and everything, that he is one who can be trusted, just as a child might trust uh, his or her father. Uh, and so Jesus is inviting us here to approach God with that level of confidence. And, and I think what Jesus is doing here is quite, quite amazing. Because you know, Jesus called God his father. He called him his father because he is the son of God in a very unique sort of way. But now he's inviting his disciples, all of us, to call God the same thing that he calls his father. He's telling us that we can have the same kind of intimacy, the same kind of relationship that he has with the father because we also now are the children of God. We also are sons and daughters. And the Apostle Paul later will write the same thing. We are adopted into the family of God, and we too can cry out, Abba, Father. So the relationship that Jesus has with the Father is now made available to us. And we have the same position now as daughters and sons. Now, this Father, Jesus says, who is close to us, who is intimate with us, who is approachable, is also our Father who art in heaven. Um, Art is the old English for you are. So the English, the modern translation would be something like, our Father, you who are in heaven. That would be the way uh, it would be translated. Um, I've heard over the years some young children mistakenly pray because they don't know what art is. Um, They'll say, our Father who aren't in heaven. Um, and then they might ask, you know, why isn't God in heaven? Um, but, you know, that's actually, you know, grammatically it's okay, right? But theologically that's both wrong and profound, right? Because on the one hand, to say that this God, so we say God who is in heaven because we want to we acknowledge that God is not like us. God is just above us. God is in the heavens. God is all-powerful. God is the creator uh, over all of his creation. So it's to acknowledge the, the power of God. But when, when children mistakenly say something like who aren't in heaven, uh, in a way that's to recognize also that God is here with us. It's to recognize God is not just in the heavens, but God is one who walks along with us and is in us and in the world. Um, I don't think they think of all those things, um, but that's the way we can interpret that as well. That God is in the heavens, God is all-powerful, but God is also our Father who is with us and intimate with us. And this really sets the tone for the entire prayer, right? That this address of God, our Father, this intimacy, this informality, this affection, but who is in the heavens, one who has power to help us and is overseeing uh, everything. And so we approach God 
in this way. The prayer itself, there are two uh, equal parts with three petitions each. In the first part, the focus is entirely on God. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then in the second part, the focus is entirely on us. Give us bread, um, give us forgiveness, and lead us not into temptation, right? To give us guidance and protection. And I want you to notice um, in the first part, notice that it's in the passive voice. We are asking God to do this. We don't order God. We don't say, God, make your name holy. We don't say, bring your kingdom. God, do your will. Instead, we, we come to God more humbly and we say, hallowed be, holied be your name. Your kingdom come, or your kingdom become. Your will be done. Right? We're, not, we're not commanding God here. We're asking God to make himself known as he is so that the world may know who he is and worship him for who he is. We're not here asking God, help me to make your name holy. Help me to make your kingdom. None of that. It's simply asking God, you do you. That's, that's what it's saying here. Your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Establish your kingdom, God. Right? So we're asking God to establish God's kingdom in us for us. We're not asking God to do it by us. We're asking God to do it for us. To ask God to make his name holy is to, to ask God's name to be revered, to be exalted, to be treated as holy and majestic, that God is to be approached with, with praise to, to make him all important. To ask God for the kingdom to come is to pray that the world would be as if God were to rule. We're praying that God will rule, not just, not just in the world, but, but in our own hearts. We're asking him to establish justice, that through the church, God's kingship might be demonstrated. We're asking for a world to be fair and just and loving. But it's more than that. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're also asking for the coming of the new kingdoms, the new heavens and the new earth, for the end of history and the beginning of a new story when Jesus comes again. We're not asking simply for God to improve life a little bit here and a little bit there, but for a complete overhaul of the world and end to the history as we know it, and for the beginning of a new story and a new world of God. And to ask for his will to be done is to ask for God's plans to be established, that what is not yet will be completed, to acknowledge that only God can fully heal the brokenness of the world. So then Jesus balances these three petitions uh, focused on God with three petitions about us. The first thing here now in the second three petitions is this word us. This is a prayer, remember now, Jesus says, I want you to pray this privately in your closet or in, in your room But it is also a prayer of and for the community. We don't pray, give me my bread. Forgive me my sins. Lead me not into temptation. You notice here, it's give us. All three petitions are us. And in fact, they're all linked by the word and, as if the three requests are all part of one big request for the entire community. 
for the whole church. And so it is a prayer that we pray privately, but it is a prayer not just for us. It is not a selfish prayer. It is for the church. It is prayer for the community. Uh, At the entrance to the United Nations building, there is this uh, old, old poem by an Iranian poet, uh, Saadi, called Bani Adam, or the children of God. And the poem goes like this. The sons of Adam are limbs of each other, having been created of one essence. When the calamity of time affects one limb, the other limbs cannot remain at rest. If you have no sympathy for the trouble of others, you are unworthy to be called the name of a human. Um, I think that's a, that's a good sentiment, right? And it's quite similar to what the Apostle Paul writes, for example, about the body of Christ, that if one member hurts, that all the members suffer, that we are part of a body, that um, it's not just about my own sort of needs and concerns. The Lord's Prayer, when we pray this, and we pray this seriously, when we pray forgive us, right? Forgive us, lead us not, and so on. We're, we're praying and are reminded that it is a prayer for the community. Not just what I need, but what we need together. And we begin by asking for bread. Jesus said that, you know, we do not live by bread alone, but he recognized, yes, not alone, but we, we do need bread. We pray for daily bread, for, for clothes, for the physical necessities of life. We pray for ordinary needs, not just for, you know, some spiritual needs as if that were more important and only important. We pray for enough food to sustain us for today. Give us this day, today, our daily bread. Um, echoing, I think, the kind of provision and trust that the uh, people of God had in the desert when God provided the manna day by day, enough for the day. And I think this part of the prayer is difficult for us because most of us, I think probably all of us, we have more than enough bread. We have more than enough. In fact, we have too much, right? We, we suffer from eating too much. It's hard to pray sincerely for bread when your you know, refrigerators and freezers are, are stocked and your pantries are overflowing. But when we pray, give us this bread, then we can be more mindful of what it takes for that bread to be there. Not just for the people who may not have bread, but for the, you know, the farmers who raise the wheat, for the bakers who bake it, for the, the truck drivers who, who bring the bread to the stores. All, you know, all the world that is involved so that you and I can eat, we can become mindful of that. And so from, from thankfulness, then we can move to action and think about those who don't have bread. So food comes first, and then we move on to forgiveness. A sick person needs medicines and healing, but she also needs news of eternal life. A hungry person needs food first, but they also need forgiveness. So from bread and physical needs, we then move on to asking for the forgiveness of our debts. Uh, debt, as you know, is the, it's a failure to, to pay back. It's a word from uh, banks. And so some translators actually uh, prefer this word failure rather than debt because failure has a kind of a moral uh, meaning, right? There's a little bit of a morality involved with the word failure that 
that the word debt uh, does not. And so in asking for forgiveness, we're admitting our failures, right? That we fail God, right? That we fail one another. We break our trust and we have this need for ongoing reconciliation with God and with one another. And it's an admission that we are all connected and that I cannot think of my own actions, my own sins, my own failures as affecting only me. Yes, sin is always first and primarily against God and God alone. But we also know that the, the consequences of our failures, of our sins, of our debts, it impacts the people around us. And this forgive us our debts is a recognition of that. So we're asking God to, to uh, forgive us, to heal us, and then to also to allow that healing then to flow through us. You know, forgiveness is a very special theme in Matthew. About one-third of the uses of this word forgive is found in the Gospel of Matthew. And, you know, if you think about this, in, the, in this prayer, what Jesus calls us to pray here, it's a kind of a, it's a shameless, it's a very bold thing to ask to forgive your debts, right? I mean, if you owe the bank or, or the credit card company, if you owe them money, you don't, you don't go to them and say, hey, forgive me my debts, like, you would never do that, right? Because you know that, like, you owe, and they're not going to do that for you. And, and maybe it's hard to approach people in the same way to say, you know, to ask for that kind of forgiveness. But Jesus says you can do that. That's the access that we have, that we can come to God and ask for this forgiveness. And then we then to extend that forgiveness to others. I think the most difficult part of this prayer for most people is that the verse here that says, we ask God to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And and when you read that, it sounds like God's forgiving is contingent upon you forgiving others first. That God is saying, unless you forgive others, I will not forgive you, right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. That is, we've already forgiven others. Therefore, God, you owe it to me to forgive me. Um, but you know that that can't be right. That God is not going to do that for us, right? Because this is not some sort of bargain we are making with God. It goes against everything that the rest of the Gospels and the Scriptures teaches us. That God's forgiveness for us is not dependent on us. That God's grace is not what we have done in forgiving others, but what God has done for us on the cross prior to anything that we have done. That we are justified by the mercy of God, by faith, not by acts of righteousness. That Christ died for us while we were still sinners. That's how God demonstrates his righteousness. And so it can't be that we have to do something to forgive others in order for God to be forgiven. And so I think the way we want to maybe think about this is that this is a prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching this prayer to those who have already been forgiven. And so those people, those who are in Christ, those who have been Redeemed are going to live a life of constant forgiving. If you don't, then you're demonstrating that you haven't really experienced the forgiveness of God. If you are a child of God, if you are a citizen of the kingdom, then you're going to live as such a person. So if you don't forgive, then you're rejecting your core identity. So, you know, forgiving someone, it, it's not a matter of this kind of a tit-for-tat accounting, like, you know, you forgive me here, and I'm going to forgive you. 
Um, it's, it's, it's not sequential, right? You do this and then I'll follow and then God is going it's, it's to... Not, it's not that. It's really a, a way of life. Being forgiven and forgiving, it's like, it's like breathing in and breathing out. It's all part of the, the one breath of forgiveness. We are forgiven and we forgive. It, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's one. There, there is no one comes before the other. It's, it's all part of it because we have been forgiven. Because we are in Christ, this is the way we live in a constant state of forgiveness and in a constant state of forgiving. We are praying for the forgiveness that has already been granted once and for all on the cross. And it is on that basis we forgive others. Right? So in that reality, how could we not forgive others? Right? If you really understand that, if you, are, if you know that that is the basis of your forgiveness, then you can't help but live in such a way that you forgive others. Give us this, our daily bread, that's today. Forgive us our debts, that's the past. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one, and that's the future. So we're praying for our present, past, and future. And asking for forgiveness leads us to asking God to keep us from making the kinds of mistakes, the kinds of failures that will lead us to asking for forgiveness in the first place. Right? Keep us from temptation so that we don't sin, so that we don't have to ask for the forgiveness which we just prayed for. And I think there is a kind of a humility here. We're, not, we're acknowledging evil and the power of the evil one in the world. We are not praying with, you know, with arrogance, like, you know, to the devil, you know, bring it on, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to fight and, and so on. Instead, we're saying, you know, deliver us from the evil one because we know that the evil one is powerful. Lead us away from the perils that are too great for us to bear. Uh, John Calvin translated this, uh, deliver us from evil, as deliver us from all forms of evil. It's asking God for strength, for guidance, for rescue, which is, of course, ultimately answered on the cross when Jesus took all evil and sin upon himself. That's how we are ultimately delivered. But in this prayer, we're also asking for us, again, for the community, for this daily deliverance from those kinds of temptations and trials that might lead us astray from the way of the, from the, way of the cross. And so that's the prayer that Jesus taught. It's, it's balanced between focus on God and, and focusing on our community. And technically, we probably ought to call this the disciples' prayer because it's the prayer that the disciples are to pray, uh, what we are supposed to pray. Um, and you notice, you might have noticed that it doesn't have the doxology at the end, which we pray when we do the Lord's Prayer together, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, that was added later, and you find them in some, uh, some of the manuscripts. Um, you know, it's, it's good words, uh, but it was not a part of the original prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, or it doesn't seem to be that way. I just want to make one brief um, reflection with you uh, about the Lord's uh, Prayer as I've been thinking about it um, this week. Um, I think the pattern that Jesus establishes here is really important. And as we pray this prayer, um, I hope this pattern is a constant reminder of how we ought to pray. The prayer begins with addressing God as our Father, as I said. By doing that, we're made aware of the fact that even though this is a prayer that we might pray, any prayer that we might pray privately or individually, 
we are mindful of our community, right? We're praying to our Father, the one who is Father over all of us. And I am part of a larger body of believers, a family of faith, and that my mind enters immediately into, notice here in the first part, about God and about God's kingdom. My prayers begin focused on God and God's kingdom. You know, in this church, um, in America, um, I think, you know, if you, um, if you listen to people praying, uh, I noticed this especially with my kids, uh, especially when they were younger, and I think this was my fault too, when people pray in this country, I think people generally only pray two prayers. People pray a prayer of thanks, and people pray a prayer of help. That's it, right? Um, if you come to our house and you listen to our prayers over meals, that's all you hear. You'll hear a prayer for, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for mommy who made this delicious food. And, you know, help us to be strong and healthy. Help us to, you know, do well in school. Um, help the West Virginia team have a good mission trip. Like, that's it. It's thank you for all this good stuff we're getting. And help me and the people in my community. Not, those are not bad prayers. Okay, those, those are good prayers. But I think when we pray only those prayers, which is what we often do, it, it really, I think, shows us it betrays our lack of understanding and love of God. I really do. Because those prayers, it's, it's about me. It's about what God is doing for me and my family, maybe. Those prayers do not think about God's name being holied, God's kingdom coming, and God's will be done. And I think the Lord's prayer here, it helps us to reorient, to, to orient our, our minds and our, our wills and our prayers to think first about God and about God's glory and about God's name. That is the basis from which then we can ask God to address our needs. And so, so this pattern of prayer to begin with God, to begin with God's name, to begin with God's glory before we get into even to the thank yous and to the help me. Certainly, those are important. But, but I think this prayer helps us to, to think about God first. Because it's God that matters first. And, and this prayer helps us to orient our, our minds and our spirits in the correct way. Another way of putting this is that the first part of the prayer, we're really, have to, we're really asking God to be God. God, be God. And then in the second half of the prayer, we're asking God, God, help me to be a human being. So, in the first, you know, God, you be God, and help me to be the kind of human being you created me to be. And I think this pattern is absolutely vital. You've, you've heard me say this uh, multiple times now, um, that this is, the, this, this is the gospel. It's always about what God does first. God does something for us, and then God tells us to do something. 
It's never you do something and then God's forgiveness and love comes second. God's love, God's decision to love us, God's will always comes first. God creates the world and then he tells Adam and Eve what to do. Even in the Ten Commandments, you know, this list of stuff you got to do doesn't begin with do not take the Lord's name in vain or, you know, do not murder. It begins with I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right? It begins with, here is what I have done. Now, in response to that, here is how to live in such a way that brings glory to my name. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is here. It begins with, let God be worshipped as God. You know, to, to think about God who, who is over all of creation. To make God's name holy and honored for the world to revere, for the kingdom of God to to come and to be established, and for God's will, God's will to be done, to, to get our hearts and minds and spirits thinking and dwelling upon that, to think about God. And then we move on. God, that's who you are, and so, so I want to be who you want me to be. I want to be one who trusts you for my daily needs. I want to be one who, who's forgiving others. I want to be one who, who's walking the, the narrow path of your righteousness. We ask God to be God, and then we ask God to help us to be human. That's the prayer. Let's pray together. God, we want to come to you uh, with confidence, with trust as children, to call you Abba, the one who loves us, and at the same time, one who is all-powerful. We ask you to be God, and for the world to acknowledge and worship you as God, as God, for you alone are God. And would you help us to be fully human as you created us to be, in community, reconciled to one another, just as Christ has reconciled us to you. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.